Hey, book lovers, we want you to know that Libro FM is the best place to buy your audiobooks because it allows you to buy from your favorite local and independent bookstore. You can choose from more than 150,000 audiobook titles and get recommendations from booksellers around the country, all for the same price as that other company. You know which one I'm talking about. Except with Libro FM, you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. And as always, listeners of the Bookstore Podcast can get two months for the price of one when they use our new promo promo code bookstorepod, all one word, at checkout at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. With each listen, take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to the bookstore. It's like a book club, but we actually read the book. I'm Becca. And I am Corinne, and this week our episode is dedicated to our newest Patreon patron, Tina. Tina, thank you. And if you are interested in becoming a Patreon patron, supporting the podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash the bookstore. Over there, we've got um, some episodes of a new series for exclusive on Patreon that we've been working on. You can check those out. There's other benefits. All of it is listed. So yeah, if you're interested, look at that. Other news is basically just our um, monthly challenge updates, which is that Mm -hmm. next month is February, and the Bookstore Challenge prompt is to read a memoir written by a writer, which in this case (laughs) means someone who's primary vocation is writing so because technically everybody who has written a memoir is a writer but you get what we mean like poets etc novelists um so first um we're going to read my pick which was priest daddy by patricia lockwood and then becca's pick is my garden by jamaica kincaid it's got the weirdest when you look it up and actually on the cover of the book it is my garden parentheses book colon (laughs) yeah it's so strange i I think it's getting a new printing this summer too so but i haven't seen the cover yet so i'm wondering if they're gonna change that because it looks like it's (laughs) they're supposed to be like a subtitle but there's no it's so weird it looks like one of those books that like went you know like i don't know like like went out of print and then got picked up by like uh like a small press or something because it doesn't Mm. look but i went and got it from the library and it's actually by like one of the major five publishing houses it's just an interesting title like punctuation situation happening yes (laughs) so yeah (laughs) i wonder if that will become evident i don't know why it would be formatted that way when we read it but we'll find out it does have illustrations it's a pretty book oh that's and i think i might be the first person to have ever checked it out of the library they had it in storage and it's like in pristine condition (laughs) oh nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to pick something really kind of different and i guess it's just about her gardening so well, I'm excited about it because last night I actually because I've been thinking I need to uh, like get all my seeds and stuff in order for my garden. And then like last night, I literally dreamed about gardening. So I'm excited for it. <laughs> yeah. If you want to see what other people are reading for this prompt and all of the other prompts, um, we have challenge page on the story graph. The link is in our show notes and you can check that stuff out there and you can join the challenge and track your progress over there. All right. Moving on. I think up front for this episode, we can say that this book details a lot of adult topics and also sexual assault and suicide. So um, just keep in mind that those will probably come up when we're talking about the book. And also keep that in mind when you're deciding where and how to listen to this episode. More episode and book content warnings will be in our show notes. Um, We're going to spoil this book. Absolutely, I can say that up front. We'll try to warn you of the big spoils. But the safest bet is always going to be to read the book first. Although in this case, I would say you don't have to read it if it doesn't sound interesting to you. And you might just want to listen to this episode because I have a feeling it's going to be kind of fun. (laughs) I am also going to add, I'm going to add a content warning. And I'm going to quote a true poet of our times, Bath and Body Works, Angela. Okay, this is going to be extremely explicit. So if you don't like swearing or angry people from Michigan, then turn your mother effing phone off. (laughs) 
is that the woman with the Bath and Body Works in Appleton or whatever? App- Jen from Appleton, Wisconsin. <laughs> so um, that is how we feel also. <laughs> okay. All right. True North by Jim Harrison was published in 2004 by Grove Press. David Burkett is the son and grandson of several generations of wealthy lumber scions in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. His father is an alcoholic and sexual predator and determined not to be like his father. David, an intelligent young man, dedicates his time to researching his family history, the way they ruined the UP by clear-cutting old-growth forests, and how they ended up with his dad. His sister Cynthia does not seem to see does not seem to have the same hang-ups as David, who at first is quite religious, but then seems to dedicate his life to having sex with every woman and girl he comes in contact with, at least when he's not spending his time hiking, fishing, and bemoaning his great misfortune of being a rather wealthy white man who can do whatever he wants with his time. (laughs) (laughs) And then I also wrote, I am extremely disappointed in this book. (laughs) Yes. And just um, I think you probably got that from the description, but the Upper Peninsula, we call it the UP. Michigan is made up of two peninsulas. The bottom, everybody says, looks like a mitten. And then the top one is connected by the Mackinac Bridge. And um, it's just shorthand. We just call it the UP. So and yeah, in defense of myself, um, I chose this book because uh, the, the prompt for January is to read a book that takes place in or by a writer who is from the place where you are from. Um, Jim Harrison was born in Grayling, Michigan. I am from the state of Michigan, not Grayling. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for many years, people talked about Jim Harrison. I know a lot of men, particularly, who I'm now <laughs> side-eyeing, who <laughs> have extolled the writing of of Jim Harrison. They hold him in very high esteem. And these are people who I thought I respected. <laughs> And now I feel perhaps differently. Of course, this is only one book. But yeah, so I am disappointed in this book. I love the state of Michigan. I feel that we are often deeply misunderstood. I feel extremely defensive of people from what the rest of the country calls flyover country. Um, I think Michigan is perhaps like the most flyovery of um, flyover country because we are two peninsulas. It's difficult to get here. You don't drive through us on your way to somewhere else. So you have to like you have to be coming to Michigan on purpose to end up mm-hmm. in Michigan. And I think I, yeah, I do. I feel really defensive of of that. Maybe some of it is me being insecure about the fact that, you know, other people move places and I, I never did. <laughs> but <laughs> I have done plenty of thinking about that. Um, and I really wanted this book to be, I don't know, like a great exploration of the state, um, specifically the UP. It's like one of the most beautiful places on earth, you know, the lakes, all of the things that I find really valuable and wonderful about this state. But mostly it was about a rich kid who's sad that he's rich and has a shitty dad. And then he claims he's working on this writing project, but we never hear about the writing project, really. And he then also just talks about his dick constantly um, yeah it's just, it's just so disappointing it is and i think when we were kind of talking about reading jim harrison you are between two books and i was like oh well true north is about the up i would yeah. rather read that because i do love the up i started going up there when i was a kid because my family has a cabin a very it like a literal one room cabin not yeah. <laughs> David Burkett <laughs> Not style. Not a second I home. Mean, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And yes, it's totally different. I'm also very protective of Michigan, especially Detroit. I love Detroit. But it's just, I think Michigan is very unique because it is very much almost like a separate culture up in the yeah. UP. And I was hoping to get some of that. <laughs> and how many books are about people who are from the UP as opposed to like Hemingway Summers up there. You know what right. I mean? Yes. And yeah, this was just very disappointing and honestly very amateur writing. 
in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> we needed to talk about one, a co- so a couple of things. First, okay, I should say this right off the bat, and if um, any diehard Jim Harrison fans out there want to write me off because I fucked up, um, go ahead and do that. I started reading the actual, the book book of this, and then I switched to audio when I quickly realized that I didn't want to read it. <laughs> spend my time doing it so instead i did it while i did the dishes and stuff um but anyway i didn't recognize i didn't realize when i opened this book because i think i just opened it right to you know part one i didn't realize there was a prologue so there is a prologue that actually comes back into play in like one of the last scenes of the book that I didn't catch. Yeah, so I didn't catch the prologue. And so like I texted you about like the last scene of the book and then came to find out like I was reading reviews of the book and they talked about the prologue and I was like, what? (laughs) So I went back and Mm -hmm. found out that there was a prologue that is word for word, like a full paragraph uh, of like maybe one of the most consequential scenes in the whole book, which I think is such a weird choice to start the book with it and then repeat it again later. And then uh, on so so there's that part of the format. And then the other thing is that it's um, separated into three sections, um, part one, part two, and part three. And they take place in the 1960s, the 1970s, and 1980s. And I don't see why this was done. Also, on top of that, he chooses in the second two parts to start it from like maybe the present kind of where he talks about the deaths of main characters i think in one part he talks about the death of his mother and then Mm -hmm. in the other one maybe the death of his dog which by the way a dog dies in this book so but i thought that was so weird because then he, he after that goes back to when those characters are still alive And I found that really confusing (laughs) because I thought like in starting that he was starting that section with like, okay, so the death of my mother or whatever. And then you would go on to hear the story of the death of his mother. But it doesn't. I don't know. I just thought I thought like it seemed really sloppy or just not well thought out. Yeah, I was I listened to the whole thing on audio And so to me, both the prologue and how he starts those sections by talking about somebody who died and then later they're alive, it pretty much takes all of the impact out of what actually happens because you already know what happens. And like you said, in some cases, it's word for word. So it's like, oh, okay, that's who he was talking about. Okay. And yeah, it just especially for me listening on audio, it was incredibly confusing And it makes no sense, except in that it feels like he was like, okay, I got to make sure this is not just like a coming of age. Like, let's throw some pizzazz in there. And this was the pizzazz (laughs) that he landed on. Except also, like, I feel like David doesn't come of age. (laughs) I don't think he matures, like, in any significant way. Like, at first, I did not hate this book. I thought, okay, we've got, like... Uh, you know, a young, a young guy who's like totally obsessed with, you know, having sex and like that tracks for me, you know, whatever. This is a young person who's going to go through that and then he'll, he'll move through it and then we'll move on with the, the narrative. But he never does. And you get to the 1970s and he's still just doing that. And it's like, my God, this is so boring. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the first part is like every single woman or girl he meets wants to have sex with him. And at a certain point, like I'm not saying there's not women who want to do that, want to have one night stands, pick a bad guy. But every single woman he encounters wants to have sex with him. Yeah. And is pushy about it. Yeah. And even, that is so uh, even a girl as young as twelve years old, who yes. to be fair, he does not have sex with, but she comes on to him like very forcefully in his writing of this, <laughs> and it just. It's outrageous. Not just that. Uh, also, I think the woman who took care of him and his sister when they were kids Mrs. touches his Plunkett dick at one point, or whatever. Yeah, what and he, yeah, yeah, he doesn't just. It's not just that, like, he fantasizes about every single woman, because he does. He also thinks about his mother naked a lot. They also will, like, touch him, or he'll get a hard-on in their presence, and they'll comment on it. Like, it's just, 
like it's I don't bizarre. It's stupid. It really like <laughs> it often feels to me like Jim Harrison was writing this one handed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like with Lori, so Lori is his sister's friend. This is the first girl that he has sex with. His sister is younger than him, so they're like 14. He is like I think 16 or 17. She comes on to him, you know, and they start having sex. Well, later on in the book, we find out that his sister Cynthia actually caught their father what Cynthia calls fooling around which is it's actually, you know, sexually yeah. assaulting Lori when Lori was a girl. Right. And it's like, oh, hmm, I wonder if that could be why she is acting out sexually with David. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. David does not at any point like this is just mentioned and David does not think at all about it because one thing is for sure David does not think about a single person other than himself <laughs> through exactly. the whole book exactly yeah I, I mean, it included when he he, he gets Lori pregnant and she has to have an abortion and it's just kind of like well I guess you know like every single woman in this book basically deals with the consequences of having slept with David, but he never, ever thinks about them <laughs> ever no. as a person or as having left these people with consequences. And I guess not just him, but also his father, because his father is, like I said, uh, had written in the description, his father is a sexual predator. He has many relationships with women young girls even um he rapes his good friend and like servant i guess i don't know what to call um, jesse jesse um he rapes his 12 year old daughter and then she becomes pregnant as a result and gives birth to his son and goes back to mexico like like and it it just feels like i mean i guess david you know there is a point where david's like i need to apologize to her um after he finds out from his sister cynthia that that that's what happened with um vera and uh he's like he becomes obsessed with the idea of like having to apologize to her and he eventually does but like otherwise there's not much else going on in his life he's just floating around it feels well, like and, and even the even the apology is totally self-serving he feels bad about having a dad having a bad dad and so he needs to apologize to vera to make himself yeah. feel better and i also would i would be really interested in knowing when um the mail was invented or when phones were invented because <laughs> i feel like those are some alternate things he could have done rather than actually physically going to vera cruz and trying to apologize tracking her down uh you yeah. know like a really stalkery way <laughs> to me it's yes and i guess uh just like to back up also so vera is the 12 year old jesse is um uh, yeah a business par- partner slash servant i don't really even know what to call jesse jesse was like what he they met each other in the war um, yeah, they, they started working together. David's father was rich and so had needs for like having a guy to drive him around and, you know, assistant, I guess. And then they, I, I guess they did do business together in some ways, like owning some land down in Mexico for like coffee farming or something like that. But so Jesse brings his daughter Vera up to for, you know, better opportunities. And so she's going to live with the Burkettes. She's 12 years old. David talks about her. He's extremely sexually attracted to her. And it's, of course, disturbing to read that about a 12 year old. Yeah. And I know because I think he's like 17 or 18 at the time. Yeah. David even brings up Lolita at some point. And I just want to say that, like, there's a huge difference between Lolita and this book. And you know this if you have any type of media literacy or critical thinking. Because in Lolita, we are supposed to think Humber Humber is like (laughs) (laughs) disgusting, right? It's like unreliable narrator. We are supposed to think that. In this book, we are supposed to think, good job, David. You (laughs) described her butt 
that she showed you so well. And we're supposed to think, wow, great job. You didn't try to have sex with this 12-year-old. Right. It's very upsetting. And David goes on, you know, after all this happens later on in his life, he constantly thinks about Vera. And at one point, he calls her his first love. I know. I would love to know, honestly, what one single trait of Vera's that is not regarding her body. One single one. Because he does not say anything about her other than how much he wants to have sex with her. Not a single thing. In fact, he oh, even... He talks a little bit about how she can't communicate well, which I feel like is even wow. a, a further, you know, like, power imbalance. <laughs> but Even, yeah. like, he even, like, claims, like, oh, uh, you know, I've never felt such lust for somebody as the lust that he felt for Vera again when she is 12 years old and so that must mean how much that she's special to him and that he loves her yeah like I I and I know it's like kind of sucks to like make claims about an author who's just writing a character right but it truly makes me question Jim Harrison because what is that like I know what are you trying to say here Everything is about sex with David yeah. and women. Nothing yeah. else. And I don't I don't know. Like is it is that trying to to put forth that David is like his father but he's resisting his urges because there is a little bit of a discussion of like because they do call the police on his father when he rapes Vera and and, and I think what I can't remember the word they use. It's not like there's that one that's like online in some com- communities on like Reddit and stuff where you're like, this is a pedophile. And they're like, no, oh, it's yeah. not a pedophile. It's a whatever a file. It's someone who's like in love with like prepubescent, you know, tweens or whatever. And they make it, mm-hmm. they try to make it sound like it's more acceptable. But th- the book does that where it's like, he's, so I guess it's like slightly better that he's not a pedophile because he's, he's a whatever a file. Um, and I, I don't know if the book is trying to say, like, look, like, David is actually, like, his father. This is, like, something that's, like, wrong in their nature or whatever. Because there's also a conversation where David confronts his father, which is, like, completely unsatisfying. But he does a thing where he's like, why are you like this? And his dad is like, eh, you know, maybe it's, like, some sort of, like, whatever, like something stalled in my adolescence yeah and he says to like the younger um he i'm sure he uses like prostitutes or a word like that in the war didn't have diseases so i gravitated towards them oh okay okay cool great okay (laughs) yeah 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 so i don't yeah like i said i don't know if that's like the book trying to be like see david is like his dad or whatever but like he's gonna he's going to break the the chain by not by vowing to never have children but getting married with a woman never telling him he doesn't want to have kids with her (laughs) you know like i don't yeah i don't know uh i I I don't know what the plan is but that and like even with his you know obsession about apologizing to vera or just how much his dad raping vera had an effect on him it is always about him it's always about how it felt like that's why Vera becomes this like great first love and how it becomes like personal like his dad did his dad raping Vera was actually about uh, him oh yes (laughs) an attack on him and it's so exhausting to read this book I mean listen to it it is just like it's really really hard because that's all it is like at one point he's like He's talking to, I think, his uncle's girlfriend or wife. I can't remember if they're married at this point. Yeah. And she is telling him about how her brothers actually tried to molest her. And then David is like, what? Um, But everybody feels that way towards their siblings. But you're supposed to push it deep down. As in, like, he felt that way about Cynthia at one point and just pushed the feelings down. I think this book is also trying to do like an Oedipal thing because he 
wants, like, he desires so badly to kill his father. There's different times where, like, somebody will tell him, like, you'd be better off going to Duluth and putting a bullet in your dad's head or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, like, he's got this thing about killing his dad. And I think maybe this is, like, some sort of, like, weird ham-handed attempt at doing Oedipus. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But it's, like, I don't, I don't think most people have these sort of like incestuous feelings towards their family members the way that David does and seems to think they're just like incredibly normal (laughs) you know yeah no I think most people if they accidentally saw their mother naked would throw like be grossed out like I think that's just a natural part of being a human being against embarrassed like you know yeah yeah, whatever I mean it's just not a thing (laughs) and yeah I mean the Oedipal thing too I, I get that And I think you're right. It's like Harrison is just not a skilled enough writer to pull it off because, you know, he's talked so much about like killing his dad, hating his dad. But then his dad gets in trouble and the lawyer's like, you got to you got to come. You got to bail him out. And David goes to do it immediately. And that's not something that like, yes, that could work in a book like you do trauma bonding and all of that kind of thing. But the problem with this book is we don't get any of David's thoughts in this part. He just goes, oh, I have to go buys a plane ticket goes to Duluth, pays the lawyer goes to court, flies back home. And then we are on to something else like we don't get any process of like himself fighting within himself over the fact that like oh guess what his dad raped another girl he just does all of this stuff stupid too because his dad (laughs) is stealing from him and cynthia has been his dad sold property out from underneath him that he had inherited from another like cousin or uncle or something so david as a teenager older teenager like last like a senior in high school or something he goes and visits some cousin sprague who is also rich and has a lot of land um and after that when he dies that guy gave him a cabin out on lake superior which is like the dream come true for any michigander (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah um which at that point in the book i was like oh this is great i wish that was me like some sort of fantasy fulfillment but he one time goes out there and finds out that the land has been sold and he's like how did this happen because i didn't sell it you know and it turns out that his dad posing as him because they have the same name sold the land out from underneath him so his dad's been stealing from him all this time um and that seems to upset him more than the fact that his dad has been going around you know uh, the upper midwest raping teenagers but and and that seems to be what more or less like fuels him it's like everything he does seems to be like attempting to get back that that property that he lost (laughs) more than anything else (laughs) and and yeah he actually goes on to sue his dad to get the the property back or like turn him in or you know because his dad forged a signature and whatever and so that's the part that like it doesn't make sense i need to understand the thought process between going to duluth and paying a couple grand to get your dad out of jail like why don't don't you just leave him there like i don't understand what you got to if you have a narrator doing this you have to explain to me why and it doesn't it's funny because, like, he he, you know, he hates his dad so much. He he wants his dad. I don't know. I suppose to face consequences, or he thinks he should. He he's aware of all of the corruption that keeps his dad in, like, able to keep doing these things and pulling this shit off because he's well protected by politicians and by the police and whatever up there because it's all some like old boys club or whatever. And yet he just falls in line too. I just like I don't know. It's just. It, it, there's nothing interesting. There's no real conflict with it, except for that he, I don't know, sometimes claims that there's conflict, but nothing that he's doing shows any any conflict that he feels about it. It's just, I don't know, it's boring. <laughs> it's really boring. Yeah. And it's just, it's just like further men furthering harm, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like... 
just by inaction, essentially, and sometimes actively furthering the harm. I don't know. It's just not interesting. And it's annoying because the book description tells you that this kid is trying to, you know, come to terms with the fact that his family, like, took all this land from the people who lived there and fucking destroyed it (laughs) and what that did to the environment. And, like, all he can do is, like, go cry on some stumps on the, you know, shores of 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 Lake Superior. <laughs> and I mean, do this, nothing it, about it. It. <laughs> it really is and it really does feel like some of the worst type of like mail writing, you know? Like yeah. if somebody says I don't read male authors, like this is exactly an example of why. Because you're right, he does all this hand-wringing, all this whining and crying about what his family did and what his dad did, but he does nothing to actually work on it outwardly. Everything is internal. I just have to sit around and think a lot that (laughs) doesn't do anything that's not making amends that's doing nothing like uh, get a job i don't know and And i don't know he eventually like starts a business like great yes love a small business hire local (laughs) people you know but he's got so much money i don't know i think you could do some other stuff and then within it there's always these excuses too where it's like well the lumber you know it did get give people jobs you know job creation oh god it was so annoying to read i just like i don't know he talks about this project and then you never actually see him working on it like the only times that you see him working on it is he'll be like i went to the library and the librarian helped me find something and i accidentally touched my penis to her and then she touched my penis or i fucked a librarian in this document room like literally that's what it's about every single thing he does somehow there is sex related to it it's insanity and it's not it's not even erotic No, oh my god, it's the opposite. It's not even interesting either. (laughs) This one point, he's I think he's at the library also, and he sees up some woman's skirt, and he is so horny about that that he goes home. He's married to a woman named Polly at this point, and he cries until Polly has sex with him. It is so gross. Oh my god, a man (laughs) crying because he wants to have sex because he's horny. Oh. I just wanted to die at that part. (laughs) It's just like, it's truly like he might as well be describing like his bowel movements. Like for as much as this just seems like an everyday, like biological, like thing that he's going through. Like it just, it's not, it doesn't do anything for the story, for the plot. doesn't tell me all that much about him, except for that I hate him. (laughs) that he would think that I want to hear about it. And it's, (laughs) again, it's deeply uninteresting. He looks at the moon once when he's sitting thinking and he's like, "Mm, wow, that reminds me of Polly's underwear or Polly's panties. Oh, wow. Fantastic uh, description there. Like, okay. (laughs) There's one point where he's talking about, I think it's a waitress and he's talking about how great her butt is. That's the other thing is he often just calls women's, like, I don't know. I don't know. It just, he called, he talks about their butts and he uses the word butt which just seems so funny to me <laughs> but mm-hmm. anyway, and he talks about how you know if something were quieter he could hear her ass cheeks squeaking together or something like that at one point like some of the just weirdest wildest descriptions of of just like the worst man you know <laughs> so. yeah yeah, he tries to um, fuck sand at one point. <laughs> oh, I Listen, that. I will very say, salt burn of him. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I was gonna say Jim Harrison walked so salt burn could run. Except I think salt burn <laughs> is so much better <laughs> than this book. Oh God, I oh I had I had things written here oh uh, here's one thing that i noticed when i was actually when i was reading the book the book the print version i don't i don't have a i wish i would have uh, pulled out a uh, a quote where this was a problem i was struggling reading the book because the language isn't all that difficult but there were points where i was like why does this sentence not make sense like what is not there were there'd just be points where I would I would just be reading the sentence and I'm like, what is going on here? And then I realize it's because he doesn't use commas oh, like the way he's supposed to. And so 
I, you know, then I went to the the audiobook and that was fine. You're not going to notice that if you've just listened to the audio. But I, um, after I finished reading, I went and read um, uh, a review from the New York Times back when the book was published in 2004. And Anthony Quinn wrote it called Family Trees for the New York Times. He says, let's see, basically this review called out the fact that he doesn't use commas. And then also mm-hmm. he misuses the word enervate. <laughs> so I wonder how much more in there is just kind of sloppily done. There's there's a lot of things I can forgive in terms of like stylists, like Cormac McCarthy doesn't use quotation marks. You know, a lot of writers now don't really use quotation marks. I think you can get away with it because there are ways in which you can get around like denoting that it's people speaking. Um, it might take a little bit of time getting used to it when you're reading, but it becomes obvious when people are speaking, right? And like the the lack of quotation marks doesn't make the writing confusing, mm-hmm. but the lack of a comma can like totally fuck up a sentence. <laughs> yeah. So like it was just really I couldn't I couldn't quite get into that and I'm like, "What? Who did no one edit this? Is this just how he writes? Did he refuse to use them in this way?" And this isn't just like leaving out the Oxford comma. It's just like straight up commas were missing from places and it just made reading the sentences just wildly confusing for me (laughs) but i was glad to have like someone call it out in a review especially in like a national publication because i thought i was going crazy (laughs) (laughs) well and i yes i do think he's definitely trying to do like the hemingway thing with being very like simple sentences and i know a lot of people don't like hemingway and i think that's totally fine i do and i think you have to be very skilled (laughs) to be able to write like that and not have it come off as just and then David did this and David thought that and then this and then that you know I he just I don't know it just it's not the same yeah I had to say that on top of the I I know it's separate from the the thing with the way that the book was organized but needed to include it (laughs) before I forgot (laughs) Well, I'll include too. Uh, so I only listened to the audio. So, um, but uh, some of the words were not pronounced the way. This is not. I mean, the, the I'm not even blaming the audiobook narrator. Like, I get it. If you don't know, you don't know. But like, it was so distracting to hear. There's a river in um, the Lower Peninsula, and it's called Osable River. Uh-huh. But he called it Osable. Like the yeah. old Sable River. And I'm like, oh, God. And then also Mackinac is Mackinac. It is spelled yeah. Mackinac because a lot of our the French came to Michigan, this area first. And so a lot of the words from the Native Americans got sort of transliterated into French. And that's how the French spelled it. And that to me seemed kind of wild that they wouldn't have told him it's Mackinac, not Mackinac. This is a but. this is a common problem for for books set in Michigan, but yeah, because the the same thing happened in Station Eleven, uh, mm. which takes place around Traverse City, which is it's spelled like the verb traverse, and that's how people mm-hmm. pronounce it <laughs> when they read it. But it's Traverse is how we we say it, and so that ha- I mean that happens like all of the time. It's just it's really funny that like audiobooks wouldn't do like a little bit because I imagine that's got to be true for like every place you know like every place has names of places that are just spelled or pronounced differently than than the way that they're spelled and so i gotta imagine that that's true for everywhere and it seems funny that it's not like industry standard to to get the local pronunciation of these things but yeah whatever (laughs) he did say sault saint marie correctly so i guess i gotta give him that but um (laughs) yeah okay Let's see. What else? Oh, uh, just more examples of David. So David and his uncle Fred, who he hangs out with a lot because Fred does things like he, I think, teaches at a school for underprivileged kids or something like that um, in Ohio. So they are in Chicago together and they meet this woman named Bernice and or Bernice. I couldn't really tell from the narrator i stopped reading the print before i got to her so i don't yeah. know but it's pretty her and david sort of start a thing she ends up going to visit him when he's living in i think he's in grand marais at this point up in the up and um vernice actually reads his manuscript that he has about this like you know up history thing 
And he is upset because she like critiques him and he's upset. And then he's like, well, will you show me your poems? Because she's a poet. Uh And the book even says like David didn't, you know, I didn't really care to read her poems, but I just wanted to say it to hurt her or whatever. Yeah. Just to be mean. And then she is like, well, she's like, no, because I am interested in you and getting to know you and you're not interested in me. Yeah. And David is just like, "Mm, yep, yep, that's correct. And we don't get any. I mean, those are the points where it's like you can take this self-obsessed narrator, you know, David character and have him think about this. It's like laid out right on the table in front of him. And I don't even know why. Like, why did Jim Harrison even write that? I guess we're supposed to think, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Your men aren't supposed to be interested in women, except for sex. And he he's like in his 30s or 40s at this point, too. Yeah. Like, he's a, he's a full grown adult. And he's still acting like a teenager. And he doesn't like ever examine anything that he's doing. Like, I mean, I guess we're just still beating the same drum. But like, he at one point, like, I don't know. He just does this with every woman. So like he 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 is he remains obsessed with Lori, you know, who he got pregnant and she went on and married somebody else. And then when she's a little bit older, when they're a little bit older, she gets breast cancer and dies. And he like goes and inserts himself in her life again, even though like she's got a husband and a family. And then he does this with Vera. Of course, we've already discussed that. And then later on, after like he has his little affair with Vernice, and then she goes back to be off with her her poet lover, um, and they go to France, he flies all the way to fucking France to track her down and find her. And like, mm-hmm. it, it, with all of these cases, he's like, my only love, my only love. You know, it's like you're acting like a 15 year old. <laughs> like You truly yeah. are acting like a 15 year old. What are you doing? He never becomes uh, like a self-realized adult person. And it's so frustrating to read about because all it ends up doing is he somehow always ends up sleeping with these people again, too. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. Including his ex-wife. Ugh. Which is one of the most disturbing scenes, because at one point she is, like, drunk and falls down on the bed and is like, yeah, you could have sex with me. And then he says, by the time I was done, Polly was asleep. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. This was published yeah, in 2004? Oh, I know. Okay. There's another point where I think he's sleeping with Lori somewhere and she's asleep and then he has sex with her again while she's sleeping. He's a rapist. <laughs> and, and again, like, it, it, I did read, I read that New York Times review. I read a couple other ones. It, none of them... like even mention even bring up the idea that this might be like a satire of these type of like extremely like no self-awareness like masculinity (laughs) books yes none of them bring it up even though it's so extreme that it does feel like it almost feels like it could be a parody and i know some other people have mentioned that too um well bringing up that part that you were talking yeah, bringing up that part you were talking about with the the when she reads his manuscript and she's like, there's like 13 good pages here out of 100 or something. To me, that seemed like maybe some sort of metafiction about like the project True North to George or to Jim Harrison. I keep wanting yeah. to call him George Harrison. <laughs> I keep wanting to call him Jim Morrison. So <laughs> poor Jim Morrison is catching strays. <laughs> George Harrison doesn't deserve this either. But <laughs> George Harrison. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, so I thought kind of maybe that was like a, a tongue in cheek, like metafiction about this project itself. But then it's just like, why write this book? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> why are you writing it? What's the point? I don't know. Gotta yeah. talk about Cynthia. Let's talk about Cynthia real quick. Cynthia is the only person in this book that's worth a damn, I think. And it's so frustrating to me that this book's not just about her. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's also so frustrating to me because, like, she knows everything about everyone. She's the one who tells David many years later that Vera, you know, had given birth to their half-brother. And it's just kind of like, why didn't you fucking ask, David? You know? Like, yeah. 
Why does he doesn't care? She knew. (laughs) She knows. And even Vera warns him way back when they're teenagers and or I'm Cynthia warns him way back when they're teenagers and Vera comes to stay with them that like, hey, Vera's clearly got a really big crush on you. So you need to back off. Don't be yeah. so nice to her, which that is what the adult thing to do is. It does not matter if a 12-year-old is coming on to you sexually. You are the older person in this scenario. They're a child. That is a child. Yes. And yeah. And so it's just and I don't even know what David thinks about that. I guess he kind of does it. But but anyway, Cynthia. Yes. Yeah. She is so much more interesting. She hits her father with a rake, like attacks him with a rake when uh-huh. and this David finds out is after um, their dad tried to molest Lori. And a lot of people I did notice said Cynthia is like the most interesting character and such a, you know, you know, well-written female character. And I would say that when you're reading this book and every single woman is like reduced down to her butt. Uh Yes. Cynthia (laughs) seems like she's quite complicated and, you know, (laughs) well-rounded. But it's really hardly she leaves at a certain point because she goes and gets married and has kids. And then you really don't see anything about her unless David needs something. Right. Right. But she always has the information. That's why to me, it's like, she she should be, you know, like, it's just like, he's so clueless. And she knows all of it. I mean, maybe the book wouldn't be interesting from her perspective, either. Maybe if we knew her perspective, it wouldn't need to be a book at all. (laughs) Yeah, is maybe the point because like, she's the one who has it together. Like she gets it. You know, like, it's just I don't know. It's so, so funny to me that he spends his whole life, apparently, so sad about Vera and what happened with Vera. And he could have just asked his sister. She knew the whole time. (laughs) It is so frustrating when he goes to visit Cynthia and Donald because they live on Sugar Island, which is right off of the UP. It's really interesting. It's very like hardly anybody lives there. It's um, Native American land, and it's been occupied by Native Americans for, like, hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. So a really interesting place. And David goes there, and all he does is talk about himself. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so frustrating to read somebody going to a place like that, and you don't get anything about that place. Like, not a single thing. No. Yeah. You know, he gets the I'm dog. I'm surprised, because that's where, that's where he meets the, the old woman, right? And he buys a cane from her. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, I was mostly surprised that he didn't talk about having sex with her too <laughs> so I guess, well he gets i guess he the gets benefit of that <laughs> his dog carla from yeah. cynthia and donald and i thought i was waiting for him to fuck the dog to be honest because <laughs> at one point he's like describing carla's butt up in the air as she's digging a oh hole god, and i was like yeah. oh my god are you kidding me <laughs> like what this guy fuck? in jail oh <sighs> I loved how he was forced, like, reduced to just printing his his life's work, like, yeah. in local newspapers and sometimes having to pay to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially uh. because, like, so he was, like, working with a professor because he goes to, like, University of Michigan. He goes into, like, the seminary at one point or something. But then he, he starts working with this professor on this this continued history project and throughout his his adulthood and he's working with this guy and the the guy at one point like tells him he's like are you do you feel threatened by like this group of people who um they're basically environmentalists who are also working on like a history of the up and and what happened up there um and he's he's like do you feel threatened by their project and he's like no because mine is personal (laughs) what what First of all, I don't think you need to consider it competition because both of you should probably have the same aims, right? Like your your goal should be the same thing, education and further awareness of like environmentalism, et cetera, like with this area in respects to that area. You should be excited that there are other people working on it. But yeah. It, it, like we have to view it as competition and, you know, him having like personal family history involved with it is apparently going to make it so much more important 
I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. You're so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. I tend to think that books about rich people are incredibly boring unless they're like scruples or Hollywood wives. Um, and mm-hmm. this this proved true once again. Rich people are fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, to talk just a little bit about the ending, um, mm-hmm. I really think that David must be the dumbest person alive because <laughs> he gets down to Veracruz with his dad. He decides, yes, great. I went to Veracruz once, tried to apologize to Vera, and she was like, stay away from me. Get a job. Stay away from me. <laughs> and uh, then he decides, oh, his dad wants to apologize for Vera. Great. Let's both go down to Vera Cruz again and apologize yeah. to Vera. Cool. Yes. And I'll then, take, yeah, I'll take the guy who violently assaulted her as a child. That's a great idea. And continually assaults women, not just sexually, but he also like punches a waitress at one point. Yeah. So uh, they go down there and the, his first trip, he found out that his dad actually owes Jesse a full year of wages. He has not paid right. him for a full year. So now they go down there two years later and he finds out, oh, shit, his dad owes Jesse for three years now because <laughs> yeah. his whole thing is like, what is it like? Oh, his dad is going to like give Jesse part ownership in his businesses or something or full yeah. ownership or something. Yeah, the the plantation they own down there or something like that. Yeah. And then the guy who helps out Jesse, Bob, is like, well, your dad already owes Jesse a lot of money. Like the amount of money that your dad owes him, it, the plantation thing isn't even worth that much. Yeah. <laughs> and I just truly feel like, David, like what <laughs> like, do you not have any critical thinking skills? Like, you know, he had to go bail his dad out of jail for $2,000. Why would he think that his dad has any money? I don't know. It I don't know. Because it, it keeps coming up, too, that, he, like, he and his sister keep getting money when his dad has to sell property. And so they keep getting money, which is clear, like, pretty clear indication that your dad's having money problems if he's having to sell off all of this property. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then, and then I don't know... Jesse and his dad fight and then his dad gets his like hands chopped off <laughs> something with a machete yeah. by Vera's son the dad's son too and David's half brother and then they like send him out in a rowboat and, and then- David gets like his thumb chopped off <laughs> I mean, and, he f- it's- and he feeds it to a sea turtle <laughs> because like you already know part of that scene from the beginning when i read the ending it felt comical like it's supposed to be so serious and he like gently pushes his dad out into the sea <laughs> i'm sorry but like i had to laugh it just did not feel ser- these are not serious people <laughs> It was like, to me, I was like, are you for fucking real? Like, that's that's where we wound up. And so then for me to know that that's actually how the book starts, too, <laughs> is insanity. It's absolutely insane that you, you go from reading this long paragraph, Father was wailing. I deduced from the morning sun and the moving flotsam that we were drifting slowly southward with the force of an unknown current. He slumped on the back seat of the wooden rowboat, and I leaned forward, grabbing his shirt to keep him from pitching overboard. Both of his hands had been severed at the wrist, and the stumps had been tightly bound with duct tape. His normally withered forearms now bulged with an unsightly color. When they had pushed us from the estuary on a falling tide before dawn, I had been given only one oar. When I clearly noted this at the first light, the humor wasn't lost on me. I was equipped to row in circles with my left hand. The thumb on my right hand was missing, and the pain lessened when I raised it high he feeds his thumb to a turtle and then he pushes his dad it's like it's absolutely uh here his eyes made his request clear and i pushed him over gently over the back of the boat it was quite some time before he completely sunk i would study the sinking fish scale or uh, the stinking fish scales and bits of dried viscera in the boat's bottom and look up and would still be there floating on the current and then finally i was pleased to see him sink what a strange way to say goodbye to your father absolute (laughs) insanity to open a book with that and then spend 350 pages talking about this guy 
in his dick and then end up back there with that exact same scene. Are you the kidding way me? Says, like his eyes made his request clear is so goofy and it reminds me of how like in a lot of like sort of cheesier romance novels like people can communicate so many things just through yeah. their eyes. Their through eyes their turn stormy eyes. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like this is so bad. Like oh my god. <sighs> I I feel like it, they they must have been like okay I guess we gotta keep we gotta find a way to get people interested in this <laughs> yeah so they just pull out the only scene in the book with any sort of like action or I don't know you know drama to it and they're like I guess we'll just throw that in the beginning and then you can read for three hundred and fifty pages to get there again it, <laughs> it also just... <laughs> does make me think of like the old man in the sea it's like okay wait. Hemingway yes. wrote about fishing in like yes. the South. So yes. I got to write about like yes. fishing with my finger. Yeah. <laughs> and the then South. like the what? what is it? Is it Nick Hart or something? Is that the name of the the stories that Hemingway wrote about oh, yeah. two hearted like the up up in the UP? And then like also his father goes to Key West. And like this is just like clearly so Hemingway inspired, I think. And, and his mom lives in Chicago and Hemingway, yeah. I think, grew up in like a suburb of Chicago or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. Uh, read Hemingway instead. <laughs> well, and then the ending, too. It's like, it's very much like, and then Polly did this. And then uh, Cynthia did this. And then this. Did, it was like, it was like a lineup of like, okay, I got to tie in each, uh, like tie each end up. Ever, the readers want to know what happens to every single character that I've ever mentioned. And at one point he's like, he thinks like, he wonders if other families like theirs, like rich families, have had as hard of a time in life. Oh, God, And he's yeah. like, I don't think so. Wow. Okay. Great. <laughs> I still am not sure of when your hard time was. I mean, I guess, like, it does suck that your father did such terrible things. Like, truly, that is, that yeah. sucks. But, like, that isn't about you. So, you know, like, I don't know. I just... I don't know. <laughs> like, like Vera's the one who had the hard time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Especially with you people continuously trying to apologize to her. Like, uh, just send pay her, her dad money and, and move on. Alone. Yeah. The last line of the book is like him and Cynthia, and he thinks, like, it's literally there's still some of the child in our souls if not yeah. our bodies wow profound profound comment I know. like it just feels again so amateur <laughs> it's like this it's like i'm it feels like it's straining David. towards profundity yeah yes yes it, it's like but it's really like um that subreddit i am 14 and this is deep yeah <laughs> that's how it feels <laughs> yeah uh, I want to say uh, justice for Carla. She yeah. was the best character for sure. Carla, the, the dog. dog. Yeah. Um, Clarence was his um, mother and father's groundskeeper. Yes. And he was also a good guy. And he also said the one good line of writing in the whole book, which is dogs lives are so short. So they deserve a birthday every two months. Yes. Yes. So cute. I know it was. That was a great line. <laughs> And um, let's see. Do I have anything else? Oh, I did. I was writing like notes to myself, just like making fun of this book while I was uh -huh. listening to it. And one of them was um, Jim Harrison is the type of guy who thinks kissing your wife on the lips is gay. Uh, oh, and I want to give, there's a couple really, really good Goodreads reviews about this book. I won't say the people's last names. Their Goodreads are public, but, you know, uh, Geraldine, Tim, and Carl. So go read their Goodreads yeah. reviews. Those are very good. <laughs> I apologize to Geraldine specifically, who I think reads um, books that we read on the podcast quite um, frequently. So sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and the thing is, I there is some good nature writing in this. That's the thing I, is, I, I feel like Jim Harrison might be a good writer 
some there's there's a case for him, but it isn't this book, you know. But I'm yeah. also after having read this book, not willing to find out. So sorry. No, right. Write a well, better book next thing. time, dead guy. <laughs> there is like good nature writing, and like maybe a little bit. It, it was interesting when David was really young, and he was like became what is a Baptist or something? I can't remember. Yeah. Just not a real, not a Christian denomination that his parents were, and that uh-huh. was kind of interesting. But like the rest of it, it's not worth reading it for those things. And no. you know what? I'm going to say one more thing. I keep saying that, but I am having like a recovered memory of Legends of the Fall, (laughs) the movie, which Uh is based on a book that he wrote. And Uh I'm almost positive that one of the characters like grows up with a little girl, like he's a teenager and she's like a little girl. And then when she gets to be like 16, the character marries her. Of course. I am... I'm not even going to look it up. I'm going to spread misinformation if I'm wrong, but I'm almost (laughs) positive (laughs) that's what it is. You're probably right. And I bet the book is the same. So anyway, (laughs) now I'm done. Now I'm truly done. Probably. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the bookstore. (laughs) If you would like to support the podcast beyond listening, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the bookstore or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Tina, thank you again for becoming a patron, and hopefully you found this funny, this episode dedicated to you. <laughs> Apologies if you um, if you did not, but our next book uh, should be much, much better. We hope so. Our next book is uh, Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood. You can find it at your local bookstore or library and read along with us. And the bookstore is a production of Awkwardly Social Media, produced by Becca Young and Corinne Keener. Technical and production support is provided by Josh Bourdon and Zach Titus. And John, if you're out there, thanks for listening. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. I'm so mad right now. You guys literally have no idea. I was shaking. Like, for the past hour, I have been shaking to the point where I couldn't even make a video because I was so mad.